This is the EWN Podcast Network. Join us today as we get a jolt of energy from our conversation with our builder about the electrical wiring in our house as a part of our series on the guts inside the walls. What will get installed into the framing before we apply the drywall. Welcome to From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. When interior designer Jana Rosenblatt had an 80-foot tree fall on her house, she saw the opportunity to create the customized home of her dreams. From Disaster to Dream Home provides you with the information and resources Jana wished she had during her rebuilding process. Now she's sharing with you the expertise of leading architects and home builders and the newest products and materials on the market. Here's your host, Jana Rosenblatt. Welcome back, home builders and remodelers. Glad you are joining us today as we get specific about the process of wiring a new construction house. In a future episode, we will address designing with light, sound, and home security. But today we are speaking with Don McMaster of McMaster and Hale Construction about the electrical pre-wiring. A few weeks after the plumbing team starts working its way through the house, I usually see the electricians begin to get set up to install the wiring. They will be adding lots more colorful vein-like wires throughout the skeletal framing, but the wires will carry electrical current instead of plasma. The initial electrical plan is always drawn by the architect for budgeting purposes. Often when I start my part of the project, I go through the existing electrical plan with the client and there are usually adjustments made for a variety of reasons. Sometimes because a lighting, uh, the lighting and mood effects that we want to create in a room, and sometimes it's because the ceiling details support, support a specific layout of the fixtures. It is at this stage that I do a rough furniture layout, so we'll be sure to create the right balance of light. Throughout the house, we will need general room lighting, usually achieved with recessed can lights. Then there is task lighting, focused specifically on areas where we need to boost a, a little boost of light, like the kitchen counters or bathroom vanity. This lighting can be in a variety of forms, like under cabinet lights, sconces on the walls, or a dropped pendant from the ceiling. The third category of light fixtures are decorative and used to enhance the ambiance of a given area. They can be ceiling fans, chandeliers, pendants, wall sconces, and ceiling mount fixtures. And of course, there need to be outlets for a variety of purposes throughout the interior and exterior of the house, and the switches and plates to control the lights mounted on the walls. With all that in mind, where does the electrician usually begin? So usually what we wanna do is look at the plan, like you said, the architecture up, and we might have a good idea uh, after you would have met with the client as far as recessed lights, uh, all the things, the appliances, what kind of appliances do they have, how much power they're going to take. We're also going to know what kind of power your air conditioners are going to take, how many you have, where they're located, 
So we're going to try to find all those locations. Everything that we know that is going to be a location for a light, light fixture. And so the first thing we typically would do, and before we get to the one thing you said at the beginning, well, before we get to the electrical, we would have our uh, HVAC guy come through and run his system. Oh, because really? the wires, I the wires I can run anywhere. The, yeah, yeah. And but I can't run these big heavy duty. Uh, you know, I got these boxes, uh, furnaces I got to put in the attic, uh, and they have the big ductwork that has to run, and so I can't have them be second. They have, I mean, that, I mean, I do have them second. They can't run behind the electrical. So the third guy in is the electrician always, because oh. his little wires can run anywhere. Not, not so with the plumbing, and not so with the HVAC. Yeah, that's so. Really those guys have to be have to have their stuff in. Yeah, that and, that makes complete sense now that you say it. Um, I don't. I wasn't fully aware of that switch in the order because I'm not so necessary until they want to decide what the vent, what the um, uh, plates on the vents look like. Like that's the only, when they start talking, the HVAC guys start talking to me, it's pretty far along in the process. So I've always thought of the electricians being the next priority because they're my next priority. Yeah, right. It isn't all That makes sense, right? So you have a big 12 inch duct. You can't just, you can't have all these wires running through the house and then you're trying to, you know, direct those through wires. Yeah, I think, um, It'll make complete sense to our listeners when they look at the pictures that we're going to, you know, post on the website, because you can see these fabulous big um, snake like uh, forms going through the ceiling, which, you know, again, we'll we'll talk about a little bit more on on another episode also. But um, so starting low and working our way up the walls with the electrical outlets, what are the code requirements specified for the placement of the outlets near the floor? Right. So. Depending, this also goes back to generally any particular jurisdiction you're in, what they might. The standard is probably about 12 inches to 16 is a standard. I don't know if there's a specific one that's uh, a standard. In, in different areas, it might be different. Uh, there's certain codes for things as far as, you know, within sinks, like a kitchen sink. If you're in the city of LA, they say you have to have a a uh, receptacle within 24 inches of a sink. And so sometimes that makes it hard. We've done them where they have, we've had these 10 foot pieces of glass over the sink and we're like, okay, how, how are we going to do this? You know, so there's pop-up, they got these pop-up plugs. And, and so there's always a lot of hoops and things you got to work, work through. But basically the first thing we want to do is, is go through and lay out where all the boxes are going to be. So we lay out the boxes, you know, where the switches are going to be. Uh, let's say you have recessed lights. We might put those in and line all those up. We do all of that before we install any wire. And then we have the homeowner and their designer walk through the house and say, okay, here's where we think, you know, the plan says that you're going to be putting plugs and switches. What do you think? Here's how the doors work. Here's where they are. Uh, is that good? How about the exterior lights? We're going to put a plug or a box uh, just to make sure everybody's on the same page. So that's the first thing before we even start wiring is to know where all those things are going to be. 
Yeah. So you're putting on the things that you're now going to connect with the wires. Right. Yeah. So um, I will add a little bit of information in terms of um, uh, placement. Sometimes um, on a on a larger home where I'm going to do a good like 11 to 14 inch baseboards throughout the house with a nice high ceiling and a you know New England style uh, traditional type home or maybe a, a large Tuscan style home. Um, will sometimes uh, design the uh, outlets around the floor to be within the molding. And then sometimes if there's a chair rail detail, we'll find a specific place in that design that will then dictate where those heights are. So there's a little flexibility there. Um, and so then the little things that I see sticking um, to the side of the studs and then uh, sometimes they're blue plastic and sometimes they're um, metal. Those are called the boxes. You're right. Yeah, right. and they're the receptacles that are gonna catch all the wires to make the function work. Right, and sometimes they're metal boxes uh, because they happen to be fireproof. They may be in a wall between a garage and a house, although they do now have plastic boxes that have a two hour rating which means, you know, you have to have a fire before they start to melt two hours, you know, so they wouldn't be smoldering and catch fire. So it used so, to be only metal boxes. Yeah. Now they have some plastic ones that are acceptable. So, but basically that's what, that's what those things do. You run, you run all your wire into that box, make all the connections. And is there a difference between where you would choose to use the, the plastic and where you choose to use the metal? Is there a reason? At this point, um, and like I say, it depends on your electrician. He may like to have the metal box, but the plastic boxes they've gotten where the rating is uh, meets pretty much all residential um, applications. Okay, so now while we're talking about, you know, outlets specifically, um, tell me about the GFI outlets and where they need to be. So uh, a GFI is a ground fault interrupter. And basically what's that's trying to do if you come in contact with water where you could really seriously get yourself injured, they usually have them. So we usually see a, a GFI around a kitchen sink or any sink locations, any place that there might be water. So that would be on the outside of a house if you're going to plug something in. Uh, it could be where your, your furnace and your water heater are located. Um, mainly they're around water. So kitchens, bathrooms, um, and those would be the main outside. Those are the main spots that you'd see those. Okay. And, you know, G GFI seems to be somewhat recent. I mean, how long, when, when did they come into the equation? So as long as I can remember, they've, they've had them uh -huh. in some form. So maybe 50 years. So what's happened? Recently, the older houses used to have a GFI located in the electrical box on the outside of the house. And then they would run that wire, that one particular wire to each bathroom uh -huh. and the kitchen, and then they run it back to that box. So it was not a big loop system. Yeah. So then they said, okay, that might not be good enough. Now we should put a GFI plug itself on okay. each location, then you, then people started to see it. They were there before, you just didn't see it because that GFI was located on a breaker outside your house. So if you had an older house, maybe 40 to 50 years ago, 
you would have a breaker on the outside of your house, you'd open it up and it would say GFI. Right. Yeah. And so now, now uh, you know, they got them basically at every, every outlet where there's water. So you're going to see that. So sometimes on these older houses, it's sometimes hard. You know, they'll say, well, this plug doesn't work. And you may find that they had a GFI, you know, getting wet or something, getting out, out by the pool or something that's all hooked up together or on the outside of their house. And that's stopping all the power going back to the bathroom or, or the kitchen. So sometimes it's a little honey. You got to go hunting for those things. Yeah. Now, so if you were doing a major renovation of an older home, would that be the kind of thing that you would then be need, need to yes. change? You yes, you would have to update that system that. out. Yes. Right. Yeah, you want to update that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of the rim, um, remodels you do, a lot of them were um, you know, directly wired in, like uh, used to have garbage disposals that were direct wire dishwashers were now they want all those things to be able to plug in uh-huh. so you'd be rewiring those things and, and uh, plugging them in so that you don't have just you know you can reach in underneath the sink or something unplug it not have that electricity going through that unit if something failed interesting so now although audio visual needs are a huge part of home building today we will save the nuances of this part of the design for an episode where we talk to an expert in AV, um, home security, and smart homes. But basically, what is the difference between the line voltage and the low voltage wires? So to the, that question, a line voltage and a low voltage, obviously a low voltage just has a lot less uh, voltage running through it. So those would be uh, for anything, like say we think about uh stereo speaker wire you're not you're not going to worry that you're going to get shocked and hurt by something like that so those are the kind of things like speaker wire computer wires all those kind of things would be considered low voltage they also have low voltage that people run uh outside their house for like lights that are you know lighting up the yard and stuff like that those are uh low voltage also so let's say you're not gonna you're not gonna electrocute yourself if you you know but you can't grab it out there in your yard or something. Yeah, so those are um, less susceptible to uh, weather because the current isn't go- isn't as dangerous if it if water was you know if got into it. Right. Okay. Right. So now, but the electrician doesn't run lo- low voltage. That's a different team, right? I mean, or do they sometimes do both? Some some electricians will do you know everything. But uh-huh. then, like you say, there's some guys that just specializes in uh, low voltage TV wires, uh, uh, cable wire, you know, any of you know, computer stuff. So there's a complete industry of guys that will run, you know, the, that kind of those kind of lines. Like the other thing is cameras. Now I got cameras everywhere. So you got a you got a whole bunch of wires inside your wall for cameras. There's cameras locations inside your house. Now, even though a lot of that stuff doesn't have wire to it, a lot of other systems do. So you got stereo, you know, stereo TVs, camera, I mean, all that kind of stuff. And it can be, it can be almost as expensive as wiring your house with some of those systems. Oh yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, the options right now, currently in the market, are are really endless, and some somewhat regularly it's not really considered 
until all of a sudden the electrician is running around and the client realizes they have a lot of other things they're interested in and no one's talked about it. So, right. and uh, yeah, so when is, is it best to usually try to get the low voltage guys in after the electrician has done a certain amount of his pre-wiring? Yeah, you try to get them to work together, but yeah. usually a lot of these systems may be put in a closet somewhere. Yeah. And so the electrician and this guy can work together, but usually I have them do after. To me, the electrician, the main electrician is my most important guy. He's got to be able to put his wires in. And the little voltage guys, they can usually run around. Uh, they'll, they'll find a spot around him. Mm -hmm. And usually the homeowner will find a location that they can run all their stuff back to. So there's a central location. You can open up a box and have all that system run into one place. Sometimes people are even dedicating, you know, rooms or closets just for yes, we have seen wires. that recently. We have yes. seen that recently. Yeah, a closet the size of my New York apartment. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, for yeah, just for the main uh, brains of the systems. Uh, at this stage of our um, the main electrical, we'll need to know where we intend to place the wall-mounted television so outlets can be installed. And what are some of the other you know, specific things that we wanna make sure to consider um, with uh, you know, spaces for outlets? You mentioned one of them being, if, they're gonna, if someone's gonna want a floor lamp in the middle of a floor and it's, a, it's not a raised foundation, it's a concrete slab, you need to plan that in advance to get that in there. What are some of the other places that we might not think about that are important? Well, like we said uh, earlier, islands, you know, to make sure that we've run everything into the islands or anything that we're not going to be able to get to. Uh, another thing is, let's say, you know, the design right now, I'm looking at that nice pool in your background. So somebody might want to be operating something from inside their house. Now, I know there's a lot of systems you could do off your phone, but a lot of people like to have a hard wire. So that would be something that you could do in the walls of your house. And you would also do that through, and you should have some kind of uh, conduit run into a, a wall where you could hook up through your concrete. You could hook that up, uh, sprinkler wires, any kind of sprinkler systems, anything that somebody might have outside that you might want to design around. That could be gates. So you have a gate out of your front of mm -hmm. your big piece of property. You might want to have that you know, run into your house uh, connection. So anything also outside your house, you think you might want to run a connection yeah. to. And, you know, that is tricky. I mean, especially people who are rebuilding after disaster, they sometimes haven't thought through all the stages of their life in the new house. And you can get pretty far along when you decide you want things to be, you know, moving around on remote controls in the backyard and, you know, blinds going up and down and uh, all of those kinds of things. Right. So you want, you know, those are the same thing with your designer. Hey, what kind of blinds yeah. are you going to put up? Are you got motorized blinds for this yeah. giant glass window or this huge, you know, we see these big giant sliding glass doors. And so a lot of those are motorized. So we have to know, you know, what, what someone's putting up, where that goes and get that wired too. Yeah. I think that the, the list of things that I make sure to bring up in conversation, uh, are you know the the floor outlets and the fireplace mantles 
Sometimes for Christmas decorating, people want to be able to plug things in on the fireplace mantle. Um, then the electric for the fireboxes, because now they're electric starters with gas. Um, right. And then the exterior, of course, like around the barbecue, it's really great to be able to plug in your margarita blender and, you know, things like that. And, um, but then motorized blinds is a, is a really big one on a, on a larger, you know, home with large windows, you're not going to want to be able to, you know, use um, a hand run um, blind or, or curtains and things and, and remote control is a great option, but you need it. It's best if it can be done while the walls are open. Absolutely. Okay. So now I'm looking at another picture of the house. And we've already talked about the um, blue plastic boxes and the little metal square boxes. Um, but coming into the receptacles from above and threaded through the holes that are being um, uh, drilled into the studs, the wall studs, I see flat gray and flat white wires and some yellow ones. Um, I imagine they all do something different. What do they do? Well, that's a good question. So, uh... Some of the some of the wire is just in a uh, shield around the wire, so you can buy it in yellow, you can buy it in white, you can buy it in black. So it's kind of up to the electrician, what depending on what he's buying. So they may not always be the yellow is a pretty standard, and so is the white. And a lot of times they're the they could be the thickness of the wire inside, depending on what they're buying. So you know it could be a twelve gauge, a ten gauge, fourteen gauge wire that's inside. And so that may be the color. Um, I'm not sure on all of them what they are, but yeah, you might see some different colors and just be what the electrician might've been able to get a good deal on that week. <laughs> you bought a bunch of white wire, you got a better deal in the yellow. Uh-huh. So they're pretty interchangeable. Um, yes. It sounds like they might want to, you know, use that if they're clever to get, you know, if they need a, a larger, you know, gauge, they could use, you know, and then a smaller gauge, they could decide which color is what and then be consistent. Am I giving right? So, we also red? have uh, the black and the gray are yeah. usually a thicker wire, uh -huh. you know, maybe a 220. It could be what we call a home run, it's usually a gray running from one panel to another, is typically a gray uh, color. But uh, that, that kind of just lets you know what they are if you see that. Um, you know, if you see a big thick gray running through your attic, that's probably a home run wire with a lot of voltage. Uh-huh, I see. So that's probably carrying things to a, a box that then's going to disseminate it to more places. Right. Just yeah, distribution box. It comes from the main, the main box and it would go run to the house to a sub panel. Right. Cool. So then in areas where there'll be um, a large concentration of electrical needed, like we were just talking about in, you know, room size, audio visual closets and things like that. Um, sometimes I see, uh, the, I see the white and the yellow and the gray wires. And sometimes I see a skinny green wire. Do you know what that does? So the green wires are typically the uh, operating as a ground and those are the green ones. So everybody know that's a ground wire. So that's usually tied onto the box and it goes back to the main panel. And from the main panel, that's also connected to usually a piece of rebar in the uh, footing. So that grounds the house. So that's what the green wires are for. 
I see. So we don't. And you might see them in a. You might also see them in a lamp. Say you just get a standard lamp that you're going to yeah. put up in your house. You're going to have a black or white, and you'll see a little copper wire sometimes, uh-huh. or you may see a green wire, and those are both grounds. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then, as the wires wind through the holes cut into the studs and beams and the rafters. They all start connecting to our light fixture locations and to our outlets and to our um, boxes with our switches and things like that. Uh, So then at some point they make their way all the way back to the panel, which is usually tucked in a closet or pantry. Um, They're the main hub, both inside and outside of the house. How is it determined where the electrical panel should be? Usually you wanna try to get it uh, to a central location, because you don't want to be running, you know, if your house is 50 feet long, you don't want to be running a 50 foot wire uh, every time. So you might want to put it in a closet. You have to have, uh, you have to be able to open the panel and typically have uh, 30 inches in front, you know, so you can't put it behind clothes or something like that. It has to be accessible. So if something happens, you can immediately locate it, find it. A lot of places you see them behind doors, you know, apartments and stuff like that. You open up a door and it's in the bedroom right behind there. A lot of other places that could be in a laundry room where you have access to it. Everybody sees it. They know where it's at. So those are the typical places that you would see, like, and we call those sub panels. Uh, The other panels are obviously on the exterior of your house. And everybody knows typically where those are located. And that can be in a garage or does it always have to be literally on the outside? Has to be on the outside. Uh, so it can you be, have to be able to get to it from the outside. So okay. if something was happening and you couldn't get in someone's garage, that's, that wouldn't be a good, and that wouldn't be a good thing. If it's a large enough house and there are certainly many of those in our area, um, can, might there be more than one sub panel? Yes, and so let me clarify that last question. Is the main the main panel has to be on the outside? Yes. You know where you have the thing. Now you could have a sub panels in the in the garage. So okay, I've actually seen some of these houses that are you know really large. They may have a whole wall of sub panels in their garage, you know, and distributing it from there. But typically, they're going to find locations where they don't have to run. You know, a lot of wire, wire, you know, you're going to try to cut down the amount of wire because that saves uh, energy also. Now, the prettiest wire in the house is the orange one that I always that I I see from the main or the what I now you're describing as the sub panel um, in the interior, you know, sub panel uh, up going up. Where is it going? What, What is the orange one? I don't know. Ground also, yeah, maybe it's also a ground. It's the prettiest wire. Uh, it's a, a picture of there's it. There's a pretty orange wire. Yeah. If, I mean, it could be a sub panel. There are some wires that are orange that you know people use to run their sub panels. Uh, you know, that'd be uh, gray is the common, but I'm sure there's somebody that's running an orange one. Uh, not sure what that Pacific one that you were looking at. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm gonna we're gonna post the picture, so hopefully we're gonna get. Um, you know, emails uh, from experts all over the place uh, describing yeah, what yeah. that that. Yeah, let me know if it's from one of my houses, so I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So, 
so you mentioned it a little bit uh, um, while ago, but um, occasionally we see the, the round hollow metal conduit uh, placed into the walls um, and explain, you know, how that works. That's so that we can, you know, access, um, move wires around after the walls are closed. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes somebody might want to add something later on and uh, they're not going to run the wire right now. They may say, hey, you know what, uh, maybe I'll add that later. So we run a conduit to a certain area. In the state of California, now we have to run a conduit from the panel, uh, a flexible conduit up to the roof. And we have to have a hole in the roof and a little vent, and that would be for uh, solar panels. So any new houses now, I think it's after oh. this year, you have to put a solar panel on. So I'm not sure on the laws on that. Um, on the remodels, though, you would have to at least run a conduit. You know, if you were doing a big, big remodel, they want you to run a, um, a flex line, an empty one, so that it could get up on the roof. So you could add that. So you wouldn't be going up in the attic and trying to tear it apart to add it. You'd have to do that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. and poke it you'd, you'd make a hole in the roof and put a uh, a vent on the roof so that you could access that down to the main panel and that's for a solar panels cool so it's pre-wiring for the potential of solar it's pre-wiring for yeah anybody that's going to be put adding solar panel in the future yeah which you know especially in the case of our our recent clients who are rebuilding solar might be a wonderful thing for them to do down the line but money is an is an issue Yes. So being, having the potential to be able to do that expansion uh, is smart. And it's pretty easy to do at the time. You know, when you got everything torn apart, it would be a real pain in the neck to try to do that later. Whereas when you're building it right now, you it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Uh, when, in fact, when we rebuilt our home, we did leave the potential for being able to now add solar. So I'm looking right. for that at some point when... The bills are all paid. So currently, um, we use recessed lighting fixtures installed into the ceilings, spaced evenly throughout the home for, um, for that constant sort of room lighting. Years ago, there were not so prevalent to use recessed lighting, and there would be, you know, plugs and outlets all over the house, you know, for table lamps and floor lamps. When did you see the transition beginning to occur? Boy, I'll, I'll bet it was probably 25 or 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. People would start, you know, the newer track houses and stuff, they would start to put in some, you know, recessed lighting. And uh, I, I'm going to say that's probably when we would see it because a lot of the track houses, they would put one light in the middle of the room with a switch. Right. That's right. Yeah. And before that, they didn't have any switch in the middle of the room. Yeah. You just had a switch that went to a plug and the switch would hit the one plug. And that was your basic, you know, you had a, a lamp or something there. Mm -hmm. Then they went to, okay, the switch goes to a light in the middle of the room. And uh, now then it evolved into, okay, now I'm going to, let's say my bedroom or my living room, I might put, you know, a couple recess or four recess lights up there mm -hmm. and run that switch. So it just gets, I think more complicated and, People yeah. add a lot more. So it, it's not unusual to have 50 or 60 recessed lights in the house now. And yeah. the good thing is they're LED. So you're really not running a whole lot more power 
you know, than what those old houses were using. And um, what's really interesting on the last two houses that that you and I worked on, um, I hadn't seen this before, but now the the light fixture comes with a bulb in which has different light temperatures uh, that can be um, set. So, right. you know, in, in the past, it would be you, you would choose your bulb. There were warmer bulbs and cooler bulbs and sunlight balanced bulbs. Now it's in one, it's in each fixture and all you have to right. do is choose your setting. Right. Yeah. And that is amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty recent thing and very cool. Yeah, it Save, is very probably cool. Probably saves a lot of, of a lot of heartache. <laughs> yeah, and it just it just gives a great amount of flexibility. I mean, some you you're, most people probably aren't even aware of how they respond in different kinds of of light and color of light, um, but it does make a difference and it can affect your mood and your you know your attitude about just living in the home. Right. Yeah. So I think also one of the most important things I, that I do when I'm doing a major renovation of an older home is getting all that light uh, throughout it. Because, you know, there are only a few people I've run into that really don't like recessed lights. And, uh, and now that the color temperature changes, even they don't have as much of an issue with it. But um, it's really the, the best simple improvement you can do if you're updating your home is, is increasing the even spread of light with recessed cans. Right. Yeah, pretty much all the jobs that we do, everybody wants to add the recessed lights. Yeah. You know, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they're truly desirable. So um, prior to closing the walls, uh, there are these, you know, four to five inch round metal plates and uh, receptacles tacked to the face of the studs and uh, where we plan to um, mount fixtures in the ceilings. Um, and, and where we're planned to put, you know, ceiling mounted fixtures. Um, so tell me about that part. So I'm not sure exactly the round metal plates tacked to the face of the studs. Yeah. The receptacle that's going to now, um, be where we can put in pendant lights or sconces and things like that. Those are, you know, the wires, I guess, get pulled through the drywall. And then once the drywall's up, they, that part gets placed. Right. So those are just protectors to stop the drywall and mud and, and the muck and everything to get into those, to get into the boxes so that, you know, when they're taping it and mudding it, the thing doesn't fill up with drywall mud. Now you're in there trying to dig the thing out. So they're just protecting it until later on mm -hmm. when you're going to open up, you know, open them up Great. and be able to put in your fixture. All right, so about that time where we start seeing those, you know, plates go up, um, I know at that point the electricians are going to go away and we don't see them again until they're ready to hang the decorative light fixtures in the home and put all the uh, switch plates on and, and do all of those you know, really important final connections. Um, how long do you plan for the um, complete wiring of the house? So it just depends, I guess, on... Uh all the other things that you have going on. I mean, from the time that they leave, you have, you know, you have drywall, you have painting. I mean, it could be, it could be three or four months before we have those guys back, depending on the size of the house. Cause you're going to do your bathrooms. You're going to might be installing your kitchens, everything else you could be doing, you know, painting doors, uh, you know, bathrooms, any kind of rock on the inside that you might have around fireplaces or walls. So 
It kind of depends on the size of your house and, uh, you know, how elaborate it is. Mm -hmm. And then, so they've probably been in there for a couple of weeks doing the pre-wiring and before they go away. Right, right. Yeah, typically we've been having them, you know, two to three weeks before uh, for them to do their job. Mm -hmm. And you try not, I mean, they move around so far and so fast. Are there any things that can go on while that's like, are you working on the exterior of the house surfaces while they're inside or what can, what else can you do? Uh, a lot of the other guys could be finishing up their stuff. You know, the plumbers might have a little bit of stuff to do. Uh, heat and air guys are usually done. Usually we, they get the, you know, the run of the house, the yeah. electricians, Yeah. Uh, you know, and they can work alongside the guys doing the uh, low voltage and stuff like that too. So it just, it kind of depends. So finally, um, what have I not asked about that is really important to understand in the process of installing the electricity in our new house? I think pretty much you've covered a, we think we've covered a pretty good amount. Yeah. Cool. I think we um, pretty much got it. Yeah. And so, you know, the good thing in terms of the design process is um, at this stage, you know, once the wiring is done, we've decided what each fixture is going to be. We don't have to necessarily have picked it. So usually I um, don't pick the uh, interior lighting and exterior lighting fixtures until all of the other choices that are going to cause people to lose um, time, like the tile has to be designed and um, all of the, you know, countertops selected and all of those decorative things. And it's sort of like the choosing of the light pictures for, for me is like the, the icing on the cake. Right. The only thing that we want to make sure is uh, any of these exterior lights or lights that may be wider, you know, uh, width-wise or height-wise, we got to stay within a, um, a number. You can't have, let's say, on the outside of your house, you can't have next to your garage. Typically, people would have an exterior light. So you can't have a real wide one and then have the electrical yeah. too close to the door. Yeah. yeah. You can't, you know, you can't put a giant fixture, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So you want to make sure that the fixtures that you are going to pick out aren't going to interrupt doorways, hallways, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That actually brings up an interesting point because scale is huge in lighting and maybe more than in any other part of the design process that a client isn't really used to. And very often I make uh, cardboard mock-ups of the scale of a light fixture because you know people don't understand that seven inches is too small if you have a 45 inch space and, and uh, you know, seven inches is too big if you have a three inch space to put it. So. Um, a lot of time, that's what I need to work with. And it takes a little bit of time, actually, to yeah. get people to understand the scale and the volume of light that we need to make sure to prepare for. Right. And the last house that we've just, uh, we've just done, it's, it's a wood siding house. Well, concrete siding, it looks like wood. But we made the owner go down and pick out all his exterior lights and bring them over to the house so that we could put them so he could see the scale and where he wanted them next to the front door, the mm -hmm. side door and the garages. And we said, OK, you know, this one's, you know, 12 inches. It doesn't look like much when you stand back, you That's know, right. 30 feet. Yeah, it looks kind of small. So you need to get the next size. And then we had to uh, 
make sure, okay, pick out the ones that you want. We got them located at the right spot. So yeah, sometimes that helps the dimensions of what, what you're going to be putting somewhere. Yeah. There's a, you know, there's sort of endless conversation about lighting design and, and the fixtures. Um, but it really is sort of like the, the jewelry it's the finishing of the house. I think like, you know, you've got your outfit all put together and the perfect earrings just make it a perfect finished, finished project. That's the glitz. Yeah, exactly. The glitz. You got to have My some favorite. wow. Yeah. So thank you so much again for joining us with all these details okay. of our new project um, and everything that is starting to fall into place. I want to remind our listeners to check out the support photos on our website at www from disaster to dreamhome.com. And we'll also share the link for how you can get in touch with McMaster and Hill for all of your construction needs in and around the Conejo Valley of Southern California. Don, thank you so much again for being our expert in the field. All right, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. Each week, we bring you time-tested practices and the latest trends through conversations with top professionals in the building industry. You can find other episodes of From Disaster to Dream Home at EWNPodcastNetwork.com, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and most other major podcast streaming services. Need design help? You can contact us or find out more about our guests at fromdisastertodreamhome.com. Until next time, let us guide and inspire you as you create the home of your dreams. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com.
Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.